Hi, welcome to Cinemad. We're here with Braden King at the Creative Capital Retreat, and he's um, well prepared to speak on the microphone. How are you, Braden? I've had a couple cocktails. This is a really bad idea, but it's... Uh, it was your I'm idea, though. <laughs> I guess it was my idea, so let's get on with it. Yeah. <clears throat> the booze was... Well, he likes talking about himself, too. But he just finished this film. Uh, I'll cut that. I'll cut that out. I'm out of here. Let's talk about that for a second. Okay. Do you like being a filmmaker? Do you like talking about your own stuff? He just took off his lanyard. That is a huge now. Next question. So earlier... So earlier you had a... Earlier, you did a sort of a panel discussion about here, your recent film, where um, you talked about having it as a film and as a um, many other formats. But now you're at the very end of this long, long run. And you said, the first thing you said, you ended your panel today by saying that you learned a lot about how people watch movies. But you didn't get to explore that idea. So what did you mean by that? How people watch movies. Hmm. Well, I think um, it seems to me that we're in a, in a sort of in a, a period of where there's an in, there's a sort of intense focus on what happens, for lack of a, a, a better term. There's a there's there's a, a reduced. A, what do I want to say, awareness of or, or attention paid to, say, the way an mm-hmm. image can contain narrative content versus the, the reading of film seems very literal to me in a way that is acute, that, that hasn't necessarily existed in, in film history and specifically in independent film history in the way that it does now. And I think part of it is, is technologically based, the way people are watching films, the fact that Increasingly, things are being consumed on computers and iPads, and 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 in mm-hmm. situations where the the not only are the formal elements of a given film uh, uh, more more difficult to access, but they are mm-hmm. almost irrelevant, you know, for the in terms of. Well, I, it, when you when you're looking at something on a very small screen with headphones that you don't really hear the full sound mix yeah, and that yeah. kind of thing, it 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 increases the focus on narrative content, dialogue, right. what like right. plot and what's happening and reduces the ability of the formal aspects of an experience with a piece of film to uh, translate or, or be right. accessed in any meaningful world. way. On your, on your like, laptop, you're in your like, world sitting on your desk. Well, maybe you don't and on probably on Twitter at the desk. same time, and yeah, probably yeah. being distracted yeah, yeah, by you know yeah, yeah. it's bad enough trying to watch something on a on, you know in your I home was just like, like one of my last films. I feel like I had to make five different sound mixes because I realized when I put it on my laptop, I'm like this sounds like shit. It sounds so 
this is how 90% of the people will probably check it out. Like, they're going to be sitting at home looking at it on their laptop, but it's only 50% of the film or something, and then what do you do? You, do you make another version of it so it can be okay on this format? Or I have no idea what you're talking about. But. Well, it kind of is. <laughs> I mean, I, I just think that, that the ways in which we're sort of consuming cinematic narrative are leading us down a path in which what's being foregrounded is what happens and the experiential aspects of the medium are in are sort of by default being but don't you think that storytelling in general like i mean you know no matter how crappy the listening situation is if you're in your car and it's like loud sound outside and there's somebody on the radio i mean you still you don't care about the quality you care about what happens so i don't think that's new i mean i think when people are listening in a narrative way they're like they're like they well, want to know what follows what, and they kind of let the other stuff. But there's a go question away. of do you see do you see film and cinema as primarily a, a, a narrative or an experiential form? No, I don't. I'm just saying, but but I think there's like a tradition of listening in a that I think is valid, like of listening in a way that's based on storytelling. That kind of doesn't matter, how, like how crappy the, the delivery system is. You still like your attention, just like you know, it focuses. If the story is good, it kind of doesn't matter how the the packaging sometimes doesn't matter. And other films, it's it's like you're not following like A begets B begets C. It's not a causal thing, so you have to pay attention in time in a different way. And then it's like, shit, the, the laptop's not going to work because you, right. you have to be in the... You have to be in it. You can't be in front of it. You have to be in it. And you can't make an in it on a laptop. Right. Yes. Okay. I mean, things We're totally to... talking about the same thing. <laughs> I don't know if you said this at the beginning, but we've all been drinking all afternoon. <laughs> <laughs> Just for the record. Well, wait a minute. My, my, it's drunk history cinematic okay, dr- style. Oh, no. I'm not going to be puking later, am I? <laughs> well, it depends <laughs> on how much. Okay. But, um, well, it got to the point where I could tell from certain, you know, blog reviews or the way people were writing about the film, I, I you know, with no judgment at all, I would contact people. And I, it got to a point where I could tell whether they had seen it on a laptop or a screen or on a good home theater or in a press screening. It was very, very clear. Because the, and, and the you're other, saying the critic, you could tell if the critic watched it that way? Yeah. Why? In many cases. Because the film doesn't, I don't think the film particularly works as well on a, it, you know, it was, it was designed as kind of an experiential, the, the sort of hypothesis of the movie was can you hold a viewer's attention through formal and experiential means as opposed to, like, is he going to get away with robbing the bank? Which happen in my movie but is you know is sort of a, a big hypothesis of the experiment of making the film so and the other thing that I've noticed in a very clear way that's been very interesting is that the larger the film is projected the faster it plays so if you watch the film on a very small screen the film gets longer and if you watch the film on a very large screen where you're forced to sort of look around to take in different visual information, the cuts get faster, the film moves faster, you're sort of embedded in it in a way that you can't be when you're sound, more distant. Because sound so. is what like embeds you. <coughs> sound is what puts you it, it's what like puts you in the present, you know? I mean, I think it's cause like as you know, a thousand years ago, two hundred years ago even if a sound was made, is always because you were in that place at that time. 
but and you're like with sound you you maybe this is what i just said like you have you're in it you're not in front of it it surrounds you so even if you have like a little tiny screen if the sound is good then you're in it you're not in front of it and in this i don't know if i'm being clear but but i think there's a for me, I think I think it's like, half of it. Like I think audio I, can can get you more in it. Sure, unless you're listening on iPod speakers on an airplane. Maybe those <laughs> do it a little bit. But even, you, know. you know what? No, no, actually, not. True. You know, even if you see like there's a screen, like one of those crap, crap you fold down screens, five seats in front of you, and you have your little teeny earbuds. Still, you don't. You like. The Bo Travai isn't going like, to work. They like magnetize themselves. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's it's just not, I, and I'm not necessarily lamenting that. I mean, I think that I, I I think that to sort of answer the question you started out with, what I've come to is a clear understanding of the way of the expectations that people come to a movie where they're going to be eating popcorn at, you know. And I think that it's, you know, I guess I'm in a place where I feel like you almost have to be working in a. I'm. I'm a little bit conflicted about what I'm about to say, but that you almost have to be working depending on your goals in a dual track way where there's a very clear, compelling and forceful narrative engine that you can then attach some of these other more formal elements that I'm primarily interested in to and sort of that in, in order to, to have the, the to, to bring the widest, you know, sort of possible, I almost don't want to say audience, but to, to sort of convey the experience that I'm trying to communicate to, but to I, an audience is sort of that. based like, on is if based you on want that. That kind of super broad populist, <clears throat> let's just call it populist audience. Then the narrative engine is is kind of key because otherwise it, it doesn't know how to drop into as many situations that have as many that's like, that's weird ultimately varieties. what I'm talking about. Yeah, you know? but, right. But if you're stubborn and like don't want to have a narrative engine, well, it depends <laughs> like on your agenda. It, <laughs> right. I have narrative in uh, obsequious ways, you know. It's like s- small little like sections, but it's not like you follow you follow your character pees in their pants <laughs> in front of the camera and for a long time. I mean, I don't even know if you work in narrative. You used to work in narrative. He, that guy, narrative. Cam, sitting right there, Cam Archer. He's sucked into it. He's worked kind of a narrative so he he knows a thing or two about a narrative I feel and he's made a decision to not want to work in it otherwise no one will watch what I'm doing so is it for the same reason that you're saying like you feel like the engine is the narrative and that's what like seduces people so you want to somehow use it as a tool but then say other stuff or is it for some other reason I think it's the tool to say other stuff I mean and you're but do you love the tool or you hate the tool or you depends on the kind of house that we're building with this tool, <laughs> more or less. Uh, are we talking in metaphors yet? Cause that's no, but you I can build a shack. What about an ice hut? Ice fishing hut? Yeah. Okay. See? But wait, so it bothers you if people don't see your movie. But what are you going to do? Like, send, no, no, a, I mean, I, well, send a message to them as to how... I mean, what do you, how do you control someone's experience with your film? That's, that's impossible. In a way, well... What I may be describing, you know, it's possible that I'm describing like a, dis- a deficiency in the piece, you know. And then there's this question of like, well, are you making something in a 
uh, in sort of a you know proactive or offensive way? Are you making something that's trying to fit into the time? Like, what are your expectations for it? What are the venues where it's going to play in? You know, and and I guess I remember, you know, as I was talking about at the event you were at this afternoon, you know, there's sort of a conceptual overlay for this whole project that had to do with thinking about the filmmaking process as a kind of cartography. And even though that there, this was a film in which there is an identifiable kind of love story and narrative, the characters in many ways for me are, are almost abstractions and secondary to the idea of an American film crew going on an expedition in a place where there's never been a film made before and there are some self-referential aspects to the movie um, that sort of get at that and the constructed reality of the story as an excuse to get into some of these other you know, I- issues of cinematic mapping and surveying a location via photography versus science and that kind of thing. And I remember sort of talking about this when I was at the director's lab at Sundance with one of the advisors and sort of you know, explaining that one of the things I do when I'm in narrative films and I get bored is I'll find an area of the screen that's out of focus <laughs> and sort of watch that for 10 or 15 minutes, you know, and just sort of watch the light flickering by as part of an interest in the kind of more, the surface, like let's say the surface plane of the image is something that's of great interest to me. And, and I, re- I was having this discussion at like the writer's lab and talking about how the fact that there are no you know, we're really kind of metaphorically smoking a bong and getting out there and saying there are no characters. There's only light, dark, sound, and all this other stuff is, you know, illusion. And this is a big part of what the entire project is about. And I wanted it to kind of be, a, you know, an optical illusion that played like a movie but had all these other layers to it. And there was this kind of long pause. So and she, But wait, and she turned to me and she said, you know, we are talking about the audience members and how they were watching it. She said... You know, that's all great, you know, and, and it's cool that you're talking about the audience that way, but remember, some of those people are going to have popcorn. <laughs> Not all, but, you know, and, and I guess there was a kind of fantasy on my part about how you penetrate into a, a sort of mainstream venue with some of these much more conceptual ideas and, and I think a, a maybe naive faith that, this conceptual overlay would maybe, tra- you know, I think when you're coming at it from, as Deborah's probably aware, more of a fine art background, people are used to assessing in a more conceptual way, like what the means of production means, how the thing was made, what does its providence mean in terms of the meaning of the narrative, and what I, and I think I was perhaps a bit confused, and I don't want to sound condescending or critical because it's not what I mean, but I think when someone goes to a movie. For whatever reason, the expectations are not the same. And I think that I've sort of come out the other end of this experience feeling like, for better or for worse, with a clear understanding of what those expectations are when people come to a movie as opposed to a screening at Anthology Film Archives. And I think in in my own head, those two things were much more combined before I embarked on this like multi-platform project than they are now and in many ways that's exciting in many ways it's a little bit you know uh, disillusioning but it, it, it it's it's you know learning is is, is uh, ultimately I don't know, you know it, it feels like when you understand something better that's, a, that's an exciting place to be you were going to say something that I, could go. I don't remember what the hell I was going to say but something about like 
what, what, what do I think about going to the movies? I mean, you know, there's times I go to the movies and I want to check out and get popcorn and, like, go to, like, an action-adventure, you know, Chinese crazy people flying through the air, and, and I don't want to have to think. And there's other times when I want to go and, uh, I don't know. I, I feel like I have so much faith in the audience. I mean, they're so freaking smart. That's the thing. I mean, I get so frustrated sometimes by people who, like, sort of clamp down the film before it has a chance to be challenging or and it's not the, always the filmmaker who does that it's the production crew it's like the distributors all that post stuff which for sure if you're dealing with like I don't know how it was dealing with here but you know I imagine like people who are imagining like oh we gotta we gotta think through what that scenario is we gotta think how it's gonna play out in the world and they just everybody has prejudice and that adds to someone else's prejudice about how smart the audience is going to be and for me the I don't know I have sort of more flexibility because I don't because there has never been an aspiration or you know to, to sort of distribute on that level or it's not even really like the way you're distributing films but on a on a narrative like I'm going to the movies you know and what's people's expectation when they're going to the movies they're going to get the popcorn and the coke and their jelly bellies or whatever the hell they eat <laughs> and they're going to like sit in there I don't know. Hurt Locker was one that, that yeah, I was like, "Whoa!" Oh, she, um, I think she she gave you a movie, like the popcorn movie, but then she gave you a movie. <laughs> Catherine Bigelow, I think you know she's a thinker. I don't know. I like appreciate some of the levels that she's working on. Or I, I think people. I don't even. I'm not even answering. I, I'm just like trailed off on some other track. I think is what happened there, <laughs> but. Like you should turn me on. I'm, I'm still waiting for popcorn. Yeah, yeah. Got, Where's the popcorn? I thought we were gonna have some here now. But we've gone to the mall before to watch stuff. We went to the mall. I went to the mall yeah, no. Well, we went to one of those five plexes in Santa Cruz. Oh yeah. What did we see? Oh, it might have been a foreign film, but it was something safe. Something yeah. super safe. Point Break. I mean. No, it wasn't that safe. Okay. But also, what are you but gonna? I don't really worry about how people are, are watching the work. I mean, if they're even watching it, that's kind of a small miracle to me. Um, I make music videos, and I used to try and really shoot them. I've made music videos, and I used to try and have them look really amazing. But then I realized that they were ever only really ever going to be on the internet, like uh, so big. And so that like changed kind of uh, what I was trying to do, or what I. But what you should still let me off the hook in a way. Like, I don't know. So there are advantages to. So wait, do you? Right? All right. D- this decision about trying to trying to not make things that look really amazing did that yeah, come like before <laughs> what you showed at the I presentation or after? That. Yeah, because um, that didn't. I mean, it still seems you're like like totally. 100% invested in the image. I am. And 100% invested in, like, how people make an image of themselves, but right. also how you make an image. I mean, you seem like that's your, your That is my that. thing, but I've kind of come to, um, I think it's whatever it takes to just make more work. I think I've kind of let myself off the hook sometimes by oh, knowing. Everybody kind of does. Right? I mean, but I still <laughs> like, I still like, I feel like I've moved away from a certain kind of aesthetic that maybe I was really working toward because I, I just started 
So that's why that's about, why you were like, I'm changing everything up. Well, I wanted to know if, if the work could really start to do things for me first, I guess. Right. Is that selfish? Well, we're all no. selfish doing God, this No, God, man, anyway. you're an artist. What the hell? I know. I shouldn't <laughs> worry about that. I guess I shouldn't worry about that. I haven't seen here. What format should I watch it in? I haven't seen it either. What but format? what you should see what format? is home movie. That's a fucking great movie. What is uh, it? Brayden's lunch film. Oh, I haven't seen it. It's really good. Brayden actually, that movie he's blocked all of my access to all of his work. <laughs> I don't know why. Why won't he like, just let he me see it? Did he defriend you or what happened? He's, he just says that I won't get it. You know, I'm kind of a popcorn, sit back kind of guy. <laughs> I feel like I'm really being misconstrued here. <laughs> you know. Maybe it's because you didn't have the box of, you know, snow caps. Wait, but, so, well, don't you think that your work isn't necessarily easy to find? No, I know. It's, but yeah. how do you feel about that? Does it bother you? No, God, I mean, I'm I anachronistic why, why in every way. Why would it bother you? It wouldn't, right? But I care about conversation. I mean, I do... I want to have conversations with people. I mean, that's why I started making non-film work. It's why I started doing public, giant installations. That's why I started making accidental things. People don't, they don't look for it. They just, they're just like, whoa, what's that? I didn't go to a museum. I didn't go to a installation. I didn't go to a That engagement leads to more work for you? It leads to a different conversation. It leads to, uh, I don't know what it satisfies a different. It's like you, you know, you're like I want to make a different kind of movie. Yeah. So I make other stuff because I want to make it. Just want to think in a different kind of way. Braden's Is that like uh, from a Godard film? Braden's <laughs> asking us, "Does this make any sense?" <laughs> but he's showing it to me on an iPod, and the resolution is so low I can barely. Yeah, and register. the soundtrack is really bad. Like before, when you showed it last time, you had this really cool soundtrack. It was like surround sound. It was like, "Does this make any sense?" But it was just pounding, like drone. I think everyone needs to stop worrying about audiences. I mean, I say that because now I'm interested in just making movies for zero money, zero budget, zero profit. Yeah. So, I, but that's that's me, and I'm I would be thrown to the wayside if, if, but you know maybe you feel good as like you know, majority flotsam jetsam maybe that's your thing maybe you just like want to be thrown to the wayside maybe I do someone told me that I'm in a constant experiment to see what I'm what I can live without what you can live without yeah and like then I just day to day life yeah day to day life you know I like got rid of my car and cell Ooh. phones and yeah I never had that so I didn't have to get rid of it you know no internet sometimes, you know. Well, it depends. It's like did you always have the internet? I did, you know. But I, when I was, I went up to Washington for two months, and I had no internet there, so that was nice. Did you even have a landline? There, no. I do, I, I do go down to the ferry dock station to check in with the world. Seriously? And I wouldn't even use the Wi-Fi. I would just ask the passenger. So what's happening? That was my conversation. Oh, and they give you the big... No, I'm kidding. No one talks to me in public. Would you really try to talk to people? No, no, uh, no. You know, I've noticed that people don't talk to me when I'm by myself, but if I'm I'm with someone else for some reason, people will interact with me. Uh, I don't know why that is. Yeah. Well, the world's against the loners. (laughs) (laughs) They've already what? They've already vetted you. They're like, well, that guy believes in them, so I could probably ask him a question. (laughs) Maybe. I don't know. That seems surprising. 
I feel like I'm about to start being defensive, but at the end of the day, what I'm, what I'm, what I'm, I guess in a way, what I was trying to say is like, what I'm interested in is figuring out what, what? works where, and right. something that I'm very passionate about is like, why is, you know, views from the avant-garde its own particular weekend within the New York Film Festival? Why aren't those films being shown in front of the features? Like, I'm, I'm someone who's frustrated that there isn't more. That they're Perma- that, 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 there. that like that of the ghettos. Like I'm frustrated right. with the ghettos, and and so the, the what I was trying to talk about earlier is like this fascination with a big part of the question that I feel like the work I've been doing over the last few years is asking has to do with what works where and why can't this other thing be pushed into this other place? Whether it's taking something that sort of borrows from the avant-garde and thrusting that in front of an audience that has popcorn, or vice versa, and taking something that is using kind of more mainstream idioms and having it play at the Brackage Seminar you know or something, you know? And, and I guess what I was trying to say at the very beginning is, like, I do feel like through doing this and exploring all these platforms and mixing them up into places that they're not usually seen, mm-hmm. there's been this great and wonderful education in, th- yeah. in how context and watching works. Totally. I saw this, I mean, what you're saying reminded me of... <clears throat> It was like two or three years ago, or maybe two, at Oberhausen, they had a program of films from like 1902 to 1918 or, or something like that. And it was fucking mind-blowing because the, the, the formats were narrative, they were documentary, they were like totally experimental, they were like observational. It was everything mashed into, I had no idea. And the audience was, I mean, I guess what was inspiring about it is they didn't make the distinction because they were just like, oh, here's a new format, let's see what there is. And you, it just makes you sad that all that went away. You know, I mean, on the one hand, like, I went to, I studied film as an undergrad at USC, but at the same time was taking classes with David James that I was, you know, that I was, you know, taking, like, mainstream production classes in Hollywood history and stuff. And I found it ridiculous that things would, like, the delineation points don't make any sense. Like, you know, you have a, a documentary section or you have a fiction section, but two, like, a, there are certain documentary and fiction films that have more in common than two documentary films. And, I mean, I'm stating the obvious, but the same is true between a given avant-garde film and, and perhaps a impressionistic fiction film or something like that. And, and I think a lot of the, what I'm the most passionate about is finding different points of delineation and trying to figure out all these film languages in a very obvious way influence each other and yet the viewing of them is obvious is often incredibly segregated yeah and i I think that i'm driven by trying to figure out ways of combining these like vocabularies and idioms in less segregated forms see i I kind of reached that point but i didn't even believe that um cinema could solve it i believe that like when I want to make a film, it's like kind of from this totalitarian viewpoint of like, okay, you guys come in, you know, you accept my little time sculpture, and you relinquish your sense of time for mine, and and you're subjected to this sort of experience. So for me, I had the same kind of um, maybe a similar dilemma, but I felt like to answer it, I wanted to just reach outside of the cinematic contract entirely, and I wanted to go to a place where people aren't. It could be like going to a museum because they're like, I want to have a sublime experience today. I want to see something that moves me. I was like, well, what about the audience that's not looking for something? What about the audience that's just like, there it is. And I don't know that that can be cinema. I mean, I don't, maybe it's not possible in cinema. I mean, I still think, I don't mean to demean it by calling it a totalitarian contract. I mean, I, I think that relationship where you construct your, you know, 
whatever. You're, you're, it's your world. It's your universe. I'm giving up mine to like be in that, and that's um, transcendental. I mean, it's like a, it's like a totally moving experience to have that happen. Well, it gets into a kind of a, a, a tangential but fascinating discussion about. You know, the filmmaker is dominant and the audience is right. submissive. But then I want the yeah. other thing, too, where the audience, I could walk by or I could stop and I could, you know, investigate further and further and further. And I don't know that that's possible. I don't know if it's possible in cinema. I think it's maybe not native to cinema to, to ask for the, not that it's not native to ask for other audiences, but that, but the one that's not looking for something or the one that's not like, I want to go to this like a little hermetic world spiraling off a little bit here a little bit ask another question hey Mike Plant ask another question <laughs> I didn't know somebody just told me you have a life as a sculptor I didn't know that so do people like you, do you make a living or you just do sculptures so what is this other artwork that you do though you just said so that you do non-film stuff and you have a whole different like side life Alter ego. <laughs> Doing what? Like what kind of stuff? Like kind of temporary big public uh, structures. So some examples would be okay. You know Abby Hoffman, probably. Yeah. You know, like he, they went, they in the '60s, they were like, we gotta levitate the Pentagon and we gotta exercise all the evil spirits. So they like got arrested because they were hanging out around the Pentagon, measuring it because they were trying to figure out how many people they need to encircle the Pentagon to hold hands, and so it would levitate and spin and exercise the evil spirits. It never happened. Whatever they got arrested, then went to court. There was still a giant protest, you know. Then, but we were like, we gotta realize, we kind of realize that levitation thing. So it's like a, it's a, it's a boat that's thirty feet per side, like a platform in the shape of the Pentagon that spins. And it looks like it's floating. It's in the. It was. It was in D.C. in the lagoon, in the Pentagon lagoon. And it had. I went to the National Archives for a few months, and I researched public protest speeches that had happened over the last hundred years that were sort of, you know, people who were upset about just whatever the state of the infrastructure, right? Like they had something to complain about, and um, and that's what was broadcast from it. So, or I mean. I don't know, public radio tower, sort of big, like, kind of architectures that are um, landscapes that are speakers, uh, a migrating parking attendant booth, some sort I don't know. It's just, like, yeah. things that exist out in the world that are, you know, well, what I was saying, they're not, they're, they have a different audience. They're a random public audience. What's the migrating parking booth? Well, I was, like, obsessed with, like, single-person architecture. I think it's really cool that there can be a building for one person. I love that. I'm like, I love a parking booth. So I be, I just got obsessed with them. I took photos of every parking booth in, within a certain... I had roads that were my limit in the city of Chicago, but it was, like, 150 parking booths, and I just, like, pictures, 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 and then, uh, then I'm like, I'm going to build my own parking attendant booth. Because I just like that they're like kind of vernacular. They're everywhere. They don't. They're like plebeian, but they have a lot of authority. If there's a parking booth on a piece of land, suddenly you're like, okay, my car is surveyed. Like somebody owns that land. You make all these assumptions just from this little tiny, like, unassuming piece of architecture. Mm-hmm. So then the booth like migrated for about eight months before it was stolen. But you know, it it, it assumed a life, and uh, and each place it parked at, you know, because. Uh, it just reinformed what that space was, and there was a, there's like a little 
you take a booklet from the inside if you wanted to, because you're kind of like, am I supposed to pay? What's supposed to happen? What's the interaction? And there's like a little dispenser on the inside. So if you walked to the booth, you would take out the booklet, which sort of had all the photographs of all the parking attendant booths and like instructions how to build your own parking attendant booth, and then talked about, you know, essays about what control and ownership and authority, how architecture can sort of impart that. You know, sometimes architecture trumps a sign. It might be next to a sign that says, no parking, you can't park here. But then people see the parking hut, and they're like, what do I do? The language says you can, but the architecture says you... I mean, vice versa, you know, you're cross messages, and I found the architecture trumped it. And then, oh, my God, like, like valet parkers started using it. Like, they started coming and, like, (laughs) using the freaking parking booth. One homeless guy was using it and, and, like, (laughs) charging people. It got tagged with graffiti. And then the graffiti blasters of the city of Chicago painted it back white. That's how much authority, that's how much authority these little structures have. You're kind of like the humble, you know, I don't know. Right. I mean, I'm so interested in like how these little throwaway, I mean, you don't think about them, but suddenly they, they cause you to understand how control works or how policing works. So, yeah, like that. But so you know, like, wait, <laughs> what, how, did like it, how do you know it got stolen? What happened? Because I showed up and it was gone. I don't know. I like, wasn't there. <laughs> I was like, fuck. Oh, my God. The parking booth is gone. I took it. Yeah. It was gone. I saw the weird thing about this I is that car. <laughs> we haven't talked about this, but I'm completely obsessed with parking lots and parking You are? Yeah, so, like, totally. that's it. It's like a For all the same reasons. I because mean, it's, it's weird, like a little, I'm, because cars are that way, right? They're like an enclosed space, but you have windows and you're in your private space, but you're in a little fish. I mean, as architecture, they Have you rad. seen the parking lot movie? I don't know. I don't I recommend so. it. It's on Netflix streaming. It's good? Yeah, oh, it's you're like, it's, it's, it's like this crazy dark horse film that thankfully more and more people are starting to know about, but you should oh, check it out. Oh, I don't know if I know it. Great. So is it really about great. like parking lot attendants? Yes. Or what? Oh. <laughs> That's what it's about, and it's really good. Yeah. Have you They're seen like it? so interesting. It. you got to see it. It's And like great. all these, these levels, like, you know, people who buy land, they sit on it because they want the value of the land to accrue, and they're like, well, what are we going to do in the meantime? we got to like pictures of parking lot booths i've been talking about films that have to do with them i I created a treatment for a film called park it was just like that's what that project was called it's called park i already took your title dude you're like sol we gotta go outside now throw down (laughs) this is yeah forget the drunk parking lot forget the drunk podcast this is turning into a wrestling match I know, I know. <laughs> you know, have you ever seen the interview that R.R. Um, Maddock, there were this, like, cable access TV show, these two kind of young girls, and they interviewed Jeff Krulik in the shower. <laughs> and they all went in the shower. I mean, they all had their clothes on, but they were interviewing. It's really great. It's no, so it. good. It was, it was one of the better cable access TV shows out there in the universe. He was one of their interviewees. It was good. Cam, do you want to talk about your new project? Because everybody else is talking about it. You don't have to. It seems, it seems like talking about it would go against my whole reason for doing it. That's right. <laughs> my, my new project next is just... Question. Yeah, next question. Next question. <laughs> <laughs> no, I don't want to talk... I, I think if you talk about something that's new too much, yeah. and I realize I've had to do it a lot here over the last few days... Um, can be really helpful 
but then it can also really um, mm -hmm. hurt what maybe you should have just kept thinking about by yourself for a while, you know? But there are tons of, you know, elements in it that, of course, I won't share, haven't shared, and, you know, I'm still figuring out, so. I don't know. Well, maybe, I mean, one thing that I'm sort of curious about and fascinated by is this sense that you expressed today about being sort of confined, for lack of a better term, sort of confined or defined by your past work in a way that made you want to erase it. And right. I started thinking about like the way Todd Rohal took all of his elements, I think, from the Guatemalan Handshake or one of his other films and after it had made the rounds and been released and stuff, went out and dug a six-foot hole in the desert and buried them all. Oh, he did. <laughs> so we could, you know, move on. And I, I guess I'm Without talking about the new project, I'm curious about the impulse to erase. You know, so much of what we do is often, and right. I, I use that term very loosely, like any creative person does, is often seen as like an effort toward impermanence. And the idea that you're moving in a direction that's more geared toward the ephemeral is, is or, or at least wanting to move beyond or not be attached to Just what has to come before is fascinating. So maybe you can yeah, like talk about that moment. a little bit. It's beyond Zen because you know Zen. There's, just, there's zen. too many rules. Is Have you tried to fact? read any Zen books? I mean, mine is still bookmarked. Uh, very <laughs> Zen mind beginner's mind, which I'm I have very nicely bookmarked. Um, I've gone through it a bunch of times with different color highlighters. Yeah. <laughs> you know, there's a lot of there's, there's a lot of objects in my house that say I'm a deep thoughtful person, but mostly if I don't have apple juice. I don't know where I'm going with that. Um, you know, I think that for me, I'm interested in, 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 since so much of my work is the same, I think it will be kind of easy to remove it from my life. And I'm really interested in creating so many more of, you know, just having, working with these images again and again, recreating some of the older images as I remember them without actually reviewing any of the work to get to a point where I have a new set of images, which then I can maybe go back and look at the former image, and then hopefully all these images will collide and then everything will more or less be erased because then there will be no longer just one image that represented one thing. And so I won't really be able to think of it as just one thing anymore. I'll just be able to think of it as really nothing because it's no longer, you know, So do you, do you feel like if you hadn't made images and things that that would be a problem of erasure or would you need to erase even without images and things that it was like more of like oh, it was a state in of mind yeah that would be nice so you want to erase even if there wasn't detritus like from that previous headspace or whatever oh that'd be great yeah well it sounds like that's what he's trying to do but I don't think it's really possible so it's all kind of an experiment right because um, it's really just me continuing to be hard on myself which, you know, a lot of people always tell me I'm too hard on myself, but I don't, I don't think there is such a thing. And uh, <laughs> I think that, uh, you know, I'm interested in seeing wear how wool, far I can like go. Underwear outfit yes, <laughs> like in here right now. Are you at all seduced by sort of like the Warholian idea of replication of meaninglessness? Yeah, I guess so. I mean, I haven't... Yeah. Am I just stealing from Andy Warhol? No. Okay, good. But it occurs to me that, like, when you were going through images that were reminiscent of each other, right. there's an opposite approach, which would be to continue. 
you make so many of them. Right. But you the know same what? Thing is right, you obliterate in, in the opposite. But way. it's not really going to mean very much to other people. But that's I'm totally okay with that because. Wait, I'm why do you say that? That you don't because think I think that I see more connections maybe than other people do, or and then other people are willing to. Again, it's this idea of participation, right? As a viewer, like there, no one is going to be participating as much as I am with my own work. Yeah. So therefore, this project could just be completely abstract, and 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 you know, this idea of removing images like won't necessarily resonate with you know anyone outside of maybe like the three people who have seen everything I've done. <laughs> <laughs> so you know, not that guy who you like fucked up your life, who had his shirt lifted up. He and hasn't was, like, seen it. Like a little it. tiny tattoo. He has a tattoo. He hasn't seen it. And, you know, all the people who fuck up my life really haven't seen the work. So it's like, why am I uh, not, you know, I should just be inviting them to private screenings. And <laughs> it might be easier to erase then. I think, yes, that would probably be a lot easier to erase. I just like the idea of, of taking away the one thing that I've enjoyed. You know? Right, because you, yeah. I mean, I enjoyed my car, but taking that away didn't necessarily, like, oh, you know, prevent me from living, <laughs> <You know? laughs> or or thinking. Yeah, I mean, I, I do it in a different method, but I'm all for sort of, like, pulling the rug out. I mean, yeah. just, like, forcing yourself into some... I mean, it's hard for me to do it in a, the intentional kind of monastic way that you do it. For it's me, i got to set myself it? up yeah. for a trick. Like, I, I just, I'm like, whoa, whoa, oh, my God, I put that thing there, and I tripped on it later, and it fucked me up, and I <laughs> fell down. But I, if I am, like, I'm not going to do that thing anymore, I'm not right. so good at it. Yeah. Well, I'll probably be terrible at it. So you not. think you, you'll just end up making this thing? You're like, every image is exactly the yeah. same. It's actually just one else. image set to the soundtrack of here. <laughs> Because I haven't wait, seen it. Wait, James Benning's done that. No, I'm just Oh, James Benning already did that? No. But he likes using other soundtracks. At least more than half of it is to do it. Well, yeah. Right. I, I think, I would like to think that it really will provide me with some sort of peace. I mean, I mean, that's the one thing I've, I, I, like I said, I love making the work, but the peace that I always think I'll feel when something is done is either very short-lived or just totally non-existent. And then it's just like, well, now what am I doing? And, you know, I saw George Kuchar talking about that where, you know, he says, oh, now it's the void. <laughs> you know, and so I've got to start another choose, project and like, I'm going to be horribly depressed. Yeah. I mean, it's weird that you have a, you choose a medium that's, like, kind of indelible in a certain way, right? It's not like you're working with, like, I don't know, some, like, spray foam that's going to melt away. True. You're working with cinema and, like, people are going to see it potentially 100 years from now. So if you're really Possibly. interested in erasure, like... I should just stop. Or or find a medium that erases itself. I mean, but I don't know if you're really interested oh. in erasure, if you're just, or if it's I, if it's about something about like the stumbling block thing, because it's a little different. It's like, are you interested in a different perspective to look at your stuff, or are you interested right. in it literally being like ground out and not existing anymore? I don't anymore? know. That's a. I have to figure that out. Yeah. Well, that's, you're probably no, doing it though. No. I'm probably what? Doing it. You're figuring it out. Well, I yeah, mean, at least you were like, I'm not going to do that thing. I'm going to do this other thing, which I was like, right on. Yeah. <laughs> That's cool. Already breaking all. Now everyone's going to change their creative capital project. No, I'm not. It's too late for me, man. I'm not changing it. <laughs> this admittedly may be over the top, but we've had a few drinks, so I'm going to go into it anyway. Okay, yeah, but the, no, this reminded me of this mammoth quote that I've always really liked. Yeah. Lay it on us. It's getting smaller. Lately. 
Yeah, a little bit, but he, he, he wrote. Are you pulling it up so no. you can read it from? Oh me? yeah, always be close, but that's a different part of filmmaking. Um, Wait, always be what? <laughs> yeah. But what's the quote? Always. That's not. That's not what I. Was, that's not what I was going to talk about. Okay. No, no, I, I don't remember I where. That. I don't remember where. This I like Glengarry Gunn Ross, but I didn't know that. But it, it, it's something it's I wrote down, and I, I can't keep coming back to. But he says, you know, artists don't wonder what is it good for. They aren't driven to create art or to help people, in quotes, or to make money, in quotes. They're driven to lessen the burden of the unbearable disparity between their conscious and unconscious minds, and so to achieve peace. Which, in a way, of all the proposals that I saw, was the most evident in what you talked about. You know, and, and it was this, like, kind of amazing way of moving through a certain amount of work that was doing that and then realizing that like that had to be transcended you know and the, and the work created a sort of disequilibrium that you're now responding to seemed it just it was like breathtaking to me but wow thanks <laughs> I mean it I, I'm, I'm looking at me too. that way I'm not looking, I'm not looking at you that's good yeah well, I'm glad that people, you know, I didn't know anyone would respond. I mean, I, I think that it's, uh, I just felt like I was, I was, and I appreciate serious art, but I, I was worried that, you know, my my ideas would just not fit in with some of the, not that I'm worried about fitting in, but I don't know. I'm, I'm, I'm surprised that people are coming up to me. It's like I came up and said, people here are it's smart. like I came up and introduced vegetables or something you know, to this group that had only been eating bread or something like that, you know, I don't, not that that's necessary, not, I mean, maybe people don't only like bread, but I don't know, I was surprised, because I really, you know, it's, it's in many ways anti-art, which to me is a very interesting concept, and, you know, not necessarily maybe a popular one at, say, an artist retreat, where all of the people here have defined their lives by thinking about and making work, and here I am saying, I don't want to do it anymore, I actually want to remove it. And other people having other people come up to me makes me think, oh, good. Uh, uh, other artists have had this idea too, <laughs> you know. Yeah, no, um, there's like fucking great pieces about removal and erasure. Yeah, and just like I don't know. Well, good. I don't feel so. Yeah. I mean, I guess it, in many ways it appeals to me because I I feel like I am both drawn to the idea of completely. I'm sort of conflicted between an idea about wanting to like destroy movies as we know them, but at the same time want to yes. work within an idiom that that, that, that no, but that uses <laughs> well. You haven't seen it. You haven't seen, haven't it. seen it. But that, that works within an idiom that's using the language of, of you know. It's sort of like I, I'm a. I, I was making a joke to someone the other day where, yeah. that it turned out not to be a joke where I, I was actually telling Sam Green that I'm a self-loathing narcissist and that that's, <laughs> <laughs> that sort of explains my dude that is like a dead on fucking character the, the, the way the way that I feel about wow. movies like it's like I hate them but I want to make them and, and I don't know how to that, unify that yeah I've, I've had those feelings <laughs> That's good. I mean, that's like... I'm allowed to hate myself, but everybody else has to love me. (laughs) But everybody else. But you have have something heavier going on with here because you commissioned short filmmakers, filmmakers to make some shorts to be parts of it. But then 
you couldn't use them all. Right. So that, I mean, is that weighed down on you? I mean, it's like, it's no. ec- it's not, I mean, it's, I'm sure they understand, I'm sure you were cool about it up front, but. Wait, wait, so I don't understand the context. So they were going to occur in within the film? Or? No, there's this, this film is structured film. around a series of kind of, let's call them interludes that were, mm-hmm. there are a series of, of sort of interludes in the film in which stories about mapping the world in kind of fantastic ways are told and they're illustrated by um, footage that was shot by a number of practicing avant-garde filmmakers like people like Daishi Saito and Paul Clipson and Barbara Meter and Ben Rivers and um, were, were sort of commissioned to illustrate these dreams of the narrative film that occur within the movie and uh, I think we commissioned eight or nine of them and there's like about four and a half and some fa- fragments and things from that, them, actually, that actually occur invented. within the feature film. Okay. And some of the pieces that did not make it the final cut of the feature were re were I, I shouldn't say even repurposed, but were used in the in the um, installation version of the platform of the piece. Um, and then uh, you know there were a number that that the the language seems wrong, but it have been included on the DVD as additional material and that kind of thing, or that haven't you know didn't find a home within either of those platforms, so to speak. But they exist in the world, and as you know, we've talked about it may or may not happen, but I can envision at some point putting together a program of these pieces that may or may not screen on its own. I mean, they kind of live in the world in their own way, and a lot of the film, the way that we did that from a business perspective may or may not be of interest but like I don't we don't I don't necessarily own any of that work we licensed the filmmakers were commissioned they own the film it was licensed to the feature for a specific period of time on a non-exclusive basis but there was sort of a holdback where they were not supposed to go out with their own version of the movie within like a year of when the movie was released but other than that all the rights to the footage revert back to the filmmakers and so one way or another I feel like that those pieces which in my mind were conceptualized as almost like the you know Spanish who found the United States I sort of saw the the movie production as the you know monarchy saying go out and map (laughs) these cinematic landscapes in your own ways and bring back what you find for us and I guess in some respects um you know that uh uh um what's the word I'm looking for there's a quasi-colonial aspect to that but at the same time you know at least the rights revert back to the filmmakers that work well be out in the world i know that like ben rivers just contacted me about making a piece about that that'll probably be that's sort of like you're next year and, like and, you have an idea about wanting to use a, a voice change like a register change but instead of using found footage you're like well why don't i just work with well like, or creating my own contemporary, or something. yeah there, there was a there was there was also an element of like trying to figure out i mean there is a quasi political facet to the making of this feature film which was sort of like okay there's a certain budget scale that's being utilized here how can that be filtered down into other things that I'm interested in what does it mean as an American filmmaker to go somewhere that has never had 35 millimeter film shot in it before and bring those images back to the United States as opposed to creating like another cop movie in New York City and there was like kind of an agenda a sort of you know very soft but real agenda at play in terms of going wanting to go out wanting to spend the money in another place wanting to find ways of becoming like a mini 
you know, being able to commission people to do work and pay them for it. And that, you know, I mean, I know what that world is, is like, and I don't, I, I feel like I'm on the line of starting to sound condescending or something. And I don't, you know, I don't want to go there, but it, I mean, if there's something that can generate additional mm-hmm. ideas and work and, right. and sort of foster a, a, a community that I feel a lot of affinity for and inspiration from, I wanted to see if there was a way to create a, a sort of feature film infrastructure that could do more than just make a feature film. Right, right. So it goes beyond. I mean, maybe there's like a bit of the colonial infrastructure in there, right? But but it's it's like not. It doesn't stick there because it's not like the people who are making the individual films don't have a voice. I mean, they do have a voice because they're making... Well, we didn't keep the land. <laughs> I don't know. We didn't kick them off their land. Right, right. Right, they still... It's not like you were telling them, like, what I'm going to need is this and this and this and this. I mean, I don't know if you told no, them. No, there was a lot of autonomy. Did. I mean, you know, yeah. people were, you know, definitely given a lot of free reign to go so do what they wanted that's to do. Because to me, like... I don't know. It is a strange contract, right? Like, what did all the filmmakers, what was their reaction to it? Where they were like, okay, we'd like you to work on this thing, but it's going to be embedded in this other thing, and it's always going to have uh, that as its nation, and you're going to be a state. You're going to be an autonomous state or whatever within that nation. But, like, I mean, it's kind of a funny construct to, to be asked to produce a work for. And so did people, do you think they worked in different ways than they normally yeah. do? Yeah, I do. I mean, in some cases, um, I mean, one very particular example was working with Daishi Saito, who, who created the, the um, piece that opens the film, and, and his work, as you may or may not know, is very much based in a, in a um, you know, in sort of an, an optical printing mm-hmm. uh, um, methodology, and, and the way he would normally work would be to sort of I'm going to do a bad job of articulating this, but he creates these kind of like, if you imagine writing a book, but having to create the words to write the book with, it's a little bit how Daishi works. Like he'll find these little fragments of imagery, re-photograph them on the optical printer, chop them apart, re-photograph them again, and edit together on on like, you know, a three or four frame mm-hmm. basis until the piece is yeah. finished. And he's fluent in his and He's incredibly fluent in yeah. his language. And, yeah. and it was adapted a little bit for what we did for the movie because there was a kind of, in some cases, verbal, in some cases, written contract that you're, you know, to these filmmakers, like, you're going to go out and create this material. It may or may not be recut to fit within the feature. There will be outlets for your own cuts of this material if you want to do that. And in Daishi's case, rather than taking it all the way, the way he normally would if he was making a film for himself, he went like halfway through that optical printing process and then came down to New York from Montreal where we sort of completed his editorial process on the computer, which he had never done before. And so what ended up happening was like him sitting down with me or one of my editors and sort of directing us in terms of like, grab those three frames, put those with those, let's do this here. And there was this great back and forth where it, it turned out to be a very true and thrilling collaboration in terms of finalizing the piece that ended up in the, in the feature. And a, a similar thing happened with almost everybody, you know, Paul Clipson and, and Julie Murray. And, and, you know, in Paul's case, like, we basically got a, you know, a 10-minute roll of Super 8 film, and it was like... 
fit in and however it fits. You know, Julie, Julie made a, a, a cut of her work print, and it was adapted to fit within the movie. Barbara Meter made a film that um, was not used in the movie. Certain fragments of her imagery are, are interspersed throughout the film, but that completed film with her soundtrack is now available on the DVD. Um, in Garen A. Tarosian's case, there was a... Um, that was the only film that was pre-existing. It's a film that she made in Armenia called Girl from Maush that was some of the first imagery of Armenia, of Armenia I'd ever seen uh, before the script even existed and someone who I knew from a you know, very early stage in the film. And that, that uh, parts of that imagery were adapted to fit within... The, parts of that film were adapted to fit within the movie. Um, but for the first time, the entire film has been released on DVD. So it's it's... And, and a lot of those collaborations and working with those people were some of the most exciting aspects of this whole project for me and the most rewarding and gratifying. I mean, it, yeah, it's a strange, I mean, it's a strange paradigm. It's like, like I, I totally love collaborating in sort of surprising ways, but it's also, I mean, it's, it's a peculiar, it's like you've got a freight train, have you got room for some extra cars and they can attach on, I mean, it's a strange it's a strange invitation. It's it's kind of unique in a way. So I mean, I appreciate that you're like, oh, I've got this certain uh, junket that this track can, that my train can run on, and like your guys' cars, usually you're like on the other gauge. <laughs> so like, let's see what happens. So, but I would, I would imagine. I mean, I would go both ways about it. Like, part of me would would be um, like I have resistance and. There's been other situations where artists have s sort of asked, um, um, like, I have this, all this property. Do you want to make s something on it, like a sculpture piece? Or, or do you, you know, I haven't had it happen with film, but there was both um, a thrill about, like, oh, what's that communication going to be like? I've never talked with that person before. Maybe we're going to, like, end up having a totally interesting conversation and make something cool. And also the sense of being like um a little bit not serfdom <laughs> like that's a little harsh but but in a way like the but um being under the momentum of another train which if you're but which is a strange place to be as someone who who you know generates I mean, it's, stuff. it's it is interesting i mean i think in narrative feature filmmaking there's a totally acceptable mm -hmm. paradigm of like the second unit you know, and in a way, it was sort of like, well, what happens if the second unit happens to be avant-garde filmmakers who are used to working on their own? And in that sense, it becomes a lot more normalized. You know, Morgan Fisher's, uh, you know, he used to work as an editor for years. Do you guys know Morgan Fisher's work? I mm. mean, he's a freaking genius. I think I'll just say that right now. I'll just put that out there. Morgan Fisher's badass, and um, you know, for years and years and years, cut narrative films and like kind of B films and 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 that. Like, I didn't know about that second unit stuff and just sort of like the material that's generated as part of that that's sort of this other class it's like when you think about the classes of in Indian culture or something like right, in India right you're like wow it's really stratified in this super clear way and, and but, but the stuff that's being generated on this level has its own circuit maybe it could sort of like end up on the well and there's another aspect to it which is like a lot of the questions that the film is asking in its narrative are about the meeting points of like prose and poetry and waking life and the dream and yeah. I think that every every aspect of the production was sort of set up in that same way and and so there's one layer of the film that's completely narrative and a love story between a photographer and a and a, and a 
satellite mapping engineer. And there's another layer of the movie that's sort of about how we find our place in the world through whatever we choose to call our work, how we orient ourselves to our work and relationships and that kind of thing. And then the film is also sort of asking questions about different forms of cinematic vocabulary and how they fit together or don't. And and one of the things that I, I increasingly feel very proud of is that like not all of those juxtapositions completely work, but mm-hmm. the questions are being asked and the mm-hmm. and the fact that like these practices which are so often completely segregated exist within a single piece was something that was really, really important to me in that way. Maybe I'm more monomaniacal, <laughs> but like I totally appreciate those like register shifts that happen when the audience is, is watching and they're looking at something that seduces them because it's like has something of a story in it and, they, and they're paying attention because it's narrative and then they shift registers and then they start paying attention because it's like an abstraction like Daichi Saito or something it's like a new kind of language it's not story language it's a different language and then they register shifts because suddenly it's a landscape it's an observational kind of your mind drifts through it you know you stay on it it's this measured gaze but, and your head's going all around but you're not following you're not following mm-hmm. you know some protagonist through it and um, maybe I more often instead of like asking other people to sort of make the register shifts I'm like I'm just going to make all the register mm-hmm. shifts I'm going to be like put on that hat and I'm going to put on that right. hat and put on that and not that I'm saying I'm successful at all those register shifts and maybe I should just be like maybe I should ask someone else to do a register shift mm-hmm. but I appreciate I appreciate that you're asking the viewer to make them and like you said that you're you're asking the viewer to sort of think about different logics of looking and like thinking that seems good makes a lot of people angry I mean I haven't even seen that wasn't a comment I'm like I haven't seen the piece but like yeah we're like let me tell you let me tell you about what's happening with your piece this is exactly the problem he was talking about (laughs) in the very beginning like here we are basically taking it to its first point yeah totally we're like so so we made it through an hour. Oh my god. Oh without no, passing no one else made it through that hour. <laughs> you guys, if no you're listening, you should hang up after like minute two probably. <laughs> 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 Please keep that in because there's a real see what she just did there. <laughs> I'll leave it in. What do you what do you do tomorrow you when you hang up after minute two if they put that in minute sixty eight? <laughs> yeah. Let's start over. Go back to the beginning and don't listen to this. <laughs> like wait, what happened at minute two? Maybe it was. Yeah, you should try to erase this podcast somehow. Oh right, I was trying to channel. I, I don't think you. I'll be the first to make fun of myself. Of drinking that's been done well enough. <laughs> no, I think I think it's all I think it's all there on the table. <laughs> Fine. Well, it certainly isn't. Creative Capital and Mike Plant. Yeah. What are you going to do tomorrow when you get home? Uh, I have to pick up my boys at LaGuardia <laughs> tomorrow at 2.30 in the afternoon. They're flying unaccompanied from Chicago, and I hope I'm there on time. <laughs> I, I'm also picking up Braden's kids tomorrow. <laughs> half, half an hour earlier. <laughs> He's going to erase Brayden's children from his life. That's totally sick, dude. It's getting crazy. My I God. need to stop. You don't need to erase other people. Just no, erase no, no, yourself. No, just myself. Yeah, keep it personal.
What are you going to do tomorrow? Yeah. What are you going to do tomorrow when you get home? Uh, I got some friends coming in from Turkey. They've been living in Turkey, and I'm going to pick them up at the airport and wow. like hang out and see what they're up to. And um, one's like an aesthetic philosopher. One's a teacher of literature of like like radical Muslim school. These like girls in this radical Muslim school. So I'm going to I'm going to get a download of information. Is what's going to happen tomorrow. <laughs> I don't know. I like how all of you are going home so you can go to another airport. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right. Well, it's the same airport that I arrive at, and I gotta take the bus and get back, and then I like gotta get in the car and go pick them up. <laughs> so like they get the better treatment, and they're bringing three cats that they've been living with there. I'm like, and I already have a cat, and it's gonna be a complicated cat situation. Wait a minute. There's a whole secondary interview that has to happen. <laughs> <laughs> we'll touch base after that. Okay. Pretty good. Right what are you now. doing tomorrow? Yeah, Mike Plant, what are you doing tomorrow? Tomorrow, well, after I get home, I'm just going home, and then I have to go to work on Monday. Oh, Mike, that was, okay. uh, Come on! I have to go, tomorrow I have to go home, and then I'm going to, but before I go, I'm going to make sure I, like, make four copies of this so it doesn't get erased in any x-ray. Thank you. Yeah. Yeah, thanks, guys. Yeah, after I turn 40. Oh, thank you. My wife picked them up. Really Thank you. After I turned 40, I had to get them.